Hallelujah. God is good and the devil can go to hell. But none of you must go to hell, right? All right. For those who don't know who I am, my name is Ed Trout, husband of one wife, three children, and nine grandchildren. And I reside in a city called San Antonio, Texas. I'm what's known as a born-again Jewish African-American. <laughs> little complicated, right? I will not be teaching the same thing in both services, so if you could uh, want to stay, you're welcome. Please turn your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 22. I have heard from Afrikaans, you didn't understand that, did you? <laughs> Luke chapter 22, verse 31. These are the words of our Lord Jesus. He says to Simon, 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 Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. So grateful for God's salvation. The best thing that ever happened to me was when I was 13 years old, gave my heart to the Lord. It was so real, I got saved five Sundays in a row. I kept on repenting and asking Jesus to come into my heart until someone told me, you don't have to keep doing it. But I loved it so much. And I'm grateful my name's in the book of life, but I'm many more times grateful for this ongoing relationship that I enjoy with the Lord so very much. I'm very grateful to the Lord for His love and His friendship. I, I feel so undeserving so many times. I've disappointed the Lord, I'm sure, failed so many times, but every time the Lord has been consistent and unchanging. Yesterday, today, and forever, He does not change. He's the same wonderful, good God. You cannot measure God's approval or disapproval by your circumstances. That's immaturity because life happens to everyone. The rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. Stuff happens to everybody. You can't measure God's consistency by those things. You know God's approval or God's love by His Word because He's true to His Word. Can you say amen to that? Thank you. All right. Now, Jesus is warning Peter that the devil, and I wonder where the Lord heard that from, if he wasn't in heaven, in the spiritual realm, and hearing Satan going to God to ask God for permission to sift the disciples. The devil's not quiet. When you are actively involved in doing God's work, he's always going to do all he can to bring you down. Every day, all day, He's after you. And I was so grateful to hear the Lord say, but I have prayed for you. It is wonderful to know that in this constant war we're in, we have someone that stands as a high priest and petitions for us on a consistent basis. We have the Lord Jesus that is always on our side, no matter what. But understand the devil doesn't like you and he'll do all he can to bring you down. And the reason is simply that God had made millions of angelic beings to serve Him and these universes, but they are immortal, powerful beings that He made, He created. And having, needing, or wanting some fellowship, He made one higher and gave Him the power to, so much more power, and also the, the choices and the free will that He had. He chose to leave God, taking a third of God's angels with Him, a whole entire third, a large population, and then for the first time in creation, God did something different. For the first time, he took his own DNA and he created you and I. We are made in his image with God's DNA. 
We are a spirit living in a body and we have a soul. And because of that, the devil despises everything about us. God is so passionate about us more than any angel because we are to die for. Not one angel was worth the blood of his son. Not one angel was worth sending his son to die for with all these immortal powers that they had. We were the precious ones that he, that he had Jesus come. Were you the only one, he would have still sent his son. You are that valuable to him. And the devil has tried everything he can to get you away from that thought or idea that God loves you that much. Your life or your natural life on this earth is a time of preparation for eternity. You're training for reigning with Him eternally. And your whole life's journey is all about getting to know the Lord. And the devil's going to do all he can to try and distract you or stop you knowing the Lord. And so because he's so jealous and can't have what you have, that love and that goodness of God, he's going to get you all the ways he can. And when he saw the weaknesses in the disciples, he asked God for permission to sift them. Whenever the devil attacks you, and he does attack you frequently, he's not after your marriage, your money, your health. Those things he is attacking are irrelevant to him. What he's really after is your faith. As Jesus said, but I prayed for you. Of all the things the Lord could have prayed for, he prayed that his faith would not fail. The devil's attacking you, Peter, but that's what I chose to pray for you, that your faith would not fail. Because that's what the devil's after. He's saying, what must I do to you to make you think there is no God? What must I do to you to make you think God is not on your side or hearing your prayers or with you at this time? What must I do to you to get you to falter in your faith? We heard this quote, this reading the word, this man with the wonderful hair. I don't know his name, I'm sorry. I liked him very much, nice guy. Fritz, Fritz. Echt Deutsch, Fritz, yeah. Oh, there you are, hello. I like hair, any hair will be fine for me. My hair got to heaven before I did. Anyway, so as he was reading the scriptures, he read about, as your faith be as a mustard seed. That is such a small amount of faith. The disciples had asked the Lord, increase our faith, a reasonable Request or idea to me. I would like my faith to increase, but apparently, according to Jesus, you don't need a volume of faith. You need a, an absence of doubt. So the devil, knowing that, to destroy your faith, has to always sow doubt. The first time he spoke to Eve, he didn't say, Eve, go ahead and pick the fruit. No one's watching. He said, did God really say? Is that what God said? And to sow one doubt if God's really with you. Or if, why would God allow this to happen to you? How can God let a child die? And if God's really on your side, why didn't he prevent this or help us? Now, he says to him, but I prayed for you, Simon, and your faith would not fail. And then he says, and when you come back. So something is going to happen to Peter. And you have to wonder, if the Lord has full knowledge, why didn't the Lord just stop it? 
So many times in our lives, we wonder why God didn't prevent us. Had I just left five minutes later, I would have avoided that car accident. If I just not done that, the Lord had just told me, if I just known what I know today or had some indicator, it would have been a little different. We have so many regrets looking back, but I've learned that we are the sum total of all we go through. We are what we go through. Things contribute to our lives. Peter was going to deny the Lord because in verse 33, this is what Peter's heart and mind was. He says, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answers him and says, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. An awful thing. Because Jesus had said on the previous occasion, if you don't acknowledge me before man, I won't acknowledge you before the Father. It is a really serious thing to deny the Lord. And he's one of the top men of Jesus. He was two of the most high-profile disciples. And Jesus is telling him, you're going to fail. You're telling me you couldn't prevent that, Lord? You couldn't stop him? You couldn't find a way to, to not let him go through that? And he's already told him, but he, he hadn't fallen yet, and already he's restored. Jesus says, and when you turned back, when you come back, the Lord's already made provision for his failure and restored him already. And I've come to understand that the Lord is a lot less stressed about our weaknesses than he is about our wickedness. Judas was wicked. He made a clear, sober decision to betray the Lord, whereas Peter had every intention, I'm going to go to prison with you. He wanted to do what's right, but he was weak and failed. The Lord's not nearly as frustrated or concerned about your weaknesses. He's got many, many opportunities and, and restorations for you. It's the wickedness God's concerned, the attitude and the, and the condition of your heart. Above all else, guard your heart. From it come the issues of life. Are you with me still? Now listen. And so he's told he's going to deny the Lord, and God's already prepared him. And I wondered so, so many times in my life why the Lord didn't stop him, why the Lord allowed this to happen, why God allows things in our lives. But I know I've got an insight in Peter's life in particular. He was very insecure and had a lot of struggles in his life. The two high-profile apostles were John and Peter. And John was the one he refers to himself in the book of John five times, no less, as the one who Jesus loves. No one else refers to him that way except himself. He keeps saying, I, the one who Jesus loves, but obviously he was very confident, which tells me that Jesus told each disciple how much he loved them, and Peter was the only, I mean, John was the only one that seemed to suck it up and take it. It seems like we as people have difficulty giving ourselves to someone or, some, or the Lord's love because we've been disappointed so many times, we'd rather keep a little reserve so we can deal with the disappointment. But it's worth the chance and worth the risk and worth that step and just let the Lord love you and lean back in His love and enjoy it because He never fails. Nothing causes God to stop loving you. Nothing. Gosh, there was a place for an amen. Not one came. <laughs> his love never fails. That's what David calls an unfailing love in one of his psalms. He says, unfailing, well, unfailing love. God's love does not fail no matter what happens, no matter what you do. There's nothing you can do to make Him stop loving you. Now, Peter didn't have that confidence. He kept trying so hard, striving to win the approval of Jesus. And we're sitting here this morning, and there are many of us in this room that have all kinds of struggles from our childhood. My mother told me that my childhood were the best days of my life. But as I've gotten older, I've realized my childhood is something I spend the rest of my life trying to fix. 
Because if it's not the family, it's the school, not the school. Something happened in my childhood when I was very impressionable that somehow cracked certain parts of my soul. That's why Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord's upon me to heal the brokenhearted or traumatized. God wants to heal. He's, he's come to heal. You don't have to stay miserable. Some people like it, though. They keep going for the same ministry over and over because they enjoy it. They enjoy the sympathy. It's all about me. Terribly needy. You know, God's trying to kill you. you know, I hope you know that. It's God's explicit desire to kill you that you may die, that he can live inside of you. You know, when the Lord hung on the cross, they threw a spear in his side to make sure he was dead. He didn't go, ouch. Didn't feel a thing. He was dead. So when God allows the devil to throw spears at you, and you squeal, he says, not dead yet. Another, another spear, please. <laughs> when we die, we don't feel pain. No one can hurt you if you're dead in yourself and alive in Christ. Abandoned to his love. Now, Peter struggled. He wanted to show the Lord that he was special. He was the only one that decided to walk on the water. No particular reason. Just wanted to do it. To be different. When washing the disciples' feet, he gets to Peter, and Peter says, you can't wash my feet. He always has to be different to everybody else to try and win the affection of Jesus. John already seemed to have his head against the breast of the Lord. He was trying to nudge the other arm open so he can get in there too. He wanted the same position, if not more. He wanted to be special. So hard trying to please the Lord. And then on the transfiguration, he wants to build a tent. He's always trying to do something different. He's got a knife or a sword in his hand. He attacks the ones trying to arrest Jesus to nick the man's ear off. He's always trying so hard. And I believe the Lord allowed him. Didn't want it, but he allowed him to fail so he'd stop trying so hard. Now he says, when you come back, I want you to strengthen or encourage the brethren. How do you encourage other people when you've messed up? Everyone knows that you know that they know what you did. You wanted to be the top disciple and you denied the Lord. They didn't deny him. You did. Now you want to encourage them. They're not going to listen to you. He's, that's what his mind's telling him. But the truth is, when he's gone through this now, all his striving and trying hard to prove something has to be abandoned. And he has to learn that if anything's going to happen, it's going to be the Lord. So, this is what this effect in his life was. Uh, changed him inside that he had to really lean on the Lord. And often God will use our failings or, or things we do that we shouldn't have done just to help strengthen our walk and our resolute, complete dependency upon him. God wants us to be dependent upon him. Often people ask me about a dreams about losing their teeth. I hear it often. It's a wonderful dream to lose your teeth in a dream. It means God... I have material back there at the... Book room or somewhere, if you want to get hold of my books and dreams or inter prophecy or daily devotionals, or have all those things at the back there. But dreams, interpreting dreams, come from the scripture. You know, solid foods for the mature, which they can chew. When you're babies, you've got to feed them. So if you haven't got teeth, you become dependent. And when you're independent, God has difficulty helping you. Now you're getting it. So when you dream like you're losing your teeth, God's telling you, lean on me, don't do it by yourself. I'm your strength. Right? When we, we need to know to do what we can and not try and do what God does. We get those two confused daily. We try to do what God's supposed to be doing and we try to get God to do what we, we should be doing. Don't do that. Learn to know what, you, what God requires of you. It's very simple in the relationship. He loves you so much that he died for you. He gave his only son. He didn't have several sons or many resources. He gave all he had. You are that important to God. He listens when you call. 
We have cell phones and people let stuff go to voicemail or they look at the call ID and they let it ring and ring and ring. Not God. It's almost like it's waiting for your call. The first ring's taken the call already. God is so much in love with you, no matter what you do, that he'll answer you when you call. He's waiting constantly for you to call. What do you think about that? God loves you very much. And so here's Peter going through a crisis, but it was so much in the Lord's knowledge, he said, I prayed for you, got you covered, got you covered. But what you're going through, the Lord has got you covered. You're not alone, he's with you. An amazing savior you have, you have nothing to fear but fear itself. The devil will do all he can to sow some negative seed with it from the news. You know, we're programmed by this world around us. People are programmed to expect negative constantly. Here in South Africa, we're coming back from America. It seems so hard for me to get used to all these burglar bars. And it seems like in a prison and electric fences. It's just, it's so hard for me to understand how to live like that. It just seems you, the, the wicked people are outside and the good people are locked up inside. <laughs> and I never had burglar bars ever and I, I don't expect anything to happen to me like that. I don't expect to be robbed, attacked. I expect the Lord to watch over me. When the devil attacks me, he's going to get it. You hear me? Uh, some years ago, Pastor Mark from the Rhema Church, years ago, in the early 90s, brought me a letter. He said, look, I want to show you this letter, a letter that was written by Christians against apostasy. Sent to all the churches in this nation, in the early 90s. And it was, I was a topic of the conversation, or the letter, as I was called, a false prophet, because I prophesied when Mr. Mandela would come into power, there'd be a peaceful and quiet transition. And many prophets, like Roger Teal, had come in and said there'd be blood in the streets and war, and, and there'd be all kinds of difficulty, and so much so some pastors left the nation. And Pastor Mark said to me, he said, now, nothing's happened, the transition has come and gone, it was peaceful, not a single murmur, and no one apologizes to you or said we were wrong. And I, I don't care. I don't care. But it doesn't make a difference whether I'm right or wrong. Uh, but I'm, why I'm telling you this is because I've been praying very specifically for South Africa in the last few months. And I believe the Lord has spoken several things to me that I'd like to share if you'd like to hear it. Amen. All right. The first thing I want to tell you is the Lord made it very clear to me that he made a covenant, a contract with South Africa years, hundreds of years ago. The first people that came, he said, we'll build a church, he will help us, and God has kept his covenant, and he will keep it continually. He said the future of this nation is far more brighter than you can imagine, no matter how negative people try to make it seem to you. There is a rumble and a shaking going on in the leadership of this nation. They've served a certain season and purpose, and God in different stages is going to be changing what you know as the present day government to a much more conducive watching over this nation. The Lord said to me, because I had been controlled by the volume of people coming from other nations like uh, Zimbabwe and Mozambicans and coming in and Malawians, and the Lord said clearly to me, I did this, because I came to dilute the entitlement mentality. I came to dilute all the history so that the new blood would come in and generate something new. The new nation has to be built. And so these 10 million people that came, came to help by the hand of God and creates a whole new expectancy. It couldn't be one language. There's so many languages now. We're forced to speak English together, every one of us, and to move into a new nation. And that's all part of the hand of the Lord. And God will not <laughs> neglect 
South Africa. Even now, at the present time, the economy shouldn't even be as good as it is, theoretically. And yet God has kept his hand in this nation, and it's even going to get better. There are many more things that God's got blessed in this nation. The crime, as you know it, the Lord spoke to me and said, it's a very small population that are the criminals. The majority of people in this nation are peace-loving and wanting a new South Africa. It's a small population, so don't be intimidated by them. And he said to me that he's going to stamp out all this crime as we know it. It might not be in my lifetime, but it won't be the police or the government. It will be the people themselves rising up, forming pockets of resistance, putting fear and intimidation in the criminals' hearts that, they will, that this nation will become one of the most sought-after, crime-free nations to live in in the world. So I'm asking you to be positive as children of God. The devil doesn't sit by watching idly, and we're not fearful of him. We reverence the Lord with all of our hearts. The devil cannot intimidate us. We don't have a spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. And God is going to bless this nation. Do you hear what I'm telling you? I live in the United States of America, and they seem to have gotten seriously backslidden. And thank God for our president that we have now, for those who are misinformed by the liberal news and not giving you the truth. He's a very godly man. As young as he is in the Lord, he's doing everything he can to do what's right. And he's brought a lot of changes so quickly already in our nation, for the Christians especially. The moral decline was, for my mind, mind-boggling how fast Sodom and Gomorrah had crept into the United States. But America has always been a giving nation, and God has made covenant with that country too in different ways. And no matter what this country does, it seems to prosper. And with Mr. Obama there, they had gone from a 10% uh, international debt to 115% in the short time he was president. And yet, in that same time, America discovered more oil in Nebraska and Texas than all the supplies of the world put together. And only God could do that. And why I'm telling you this is because God has, he has a, a, a coin inside a fish in this nation waiting for the right time when he will release all the blessings and the prosperity of this nation. He will bless South Africa. So you have nothing to be concerned for except excitement should be in your soul for the future. You are the future. We as children of God should set the tone and the pace in every way and treat each other with such love and respect, no matter who they are. Are you hearing me? That's the ways of God. That's, that's the ways of Christ. We are, we are not in any way prejudiced to anyone as children of God. We represent the mighty King. Amen. Amen. Thank you so very much.